The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke chapter 18. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember years ago when, uh, when we lived out in Hill City, every single Tuesday morning I'd head on down to Outlaw Ranch where we uh, pastors would get together for text study. We'd get together and we'd read through the text for the week and we'd basically verbally beat each other up on the meaning of what's really important in these texts. And we, we would learn from one another. We'd, uh, we'd strive to come to some semblance of maybe, just maybe, having a halfway decent sermon by the time Sunday rolled around. Most of the guys in our group were retired pastors, some very seasoned veterans, and a couple of us were within our first few years. You can imagine which of us were the ones that were corrected most often. The retired ones. <laughs> I'm just totally kidding, eh? Absolutely not. In fact, uh, one of my favorite pastors back then, his name was Chuck Hazlett, and Chuck Hazlett, once he retired, he, he went AWOL except for text study. He loved coming to sit with his peers and to wrestle with scripture and to give us his thoughts, but also his experiences in life of how he saw scripture be applied within the lives of those that would walk through the doors of the church each and every week. I remember on one particular lesson, Chuck said, the only reason, the sole reason that we come to church is to receive forgiveness. And I thought about that for a bit. I wrestled with that because I know we've been talking about this the last couple weeks. You know, we have a whole host of reasons why we come to church. Some come for the fellowship. Some come for the phenomenal coffee. Some come for the donuts or the baked goods that are out there in the narthex. Some come back, uh, some come because they just have this long desire to hand in their pledge cards and give money to the church. Amen? It's my shameless plug. If you have not returned your pledge card in, it is well more than welcomed if you send it on your way for Beth's sake so she can plan the budget. Yes, that is exactly the reasons why we come to church. Amen? No, because the reality is you can find all those opportunities in so many other places. When you think about it hard enough, the reason we come into this space when we come with the right hearts and the right minds, is to receive forgiveness. In our lesson this morning, in the 18th chapter of Luke, what we have is Jesus giving a parable, and as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, a parable is that place in which we hear Jesus, God in the flesh, giving an illustration 
of who is elected in this salvation process. And again, Jesus gives us another parable. He gives us the parable of two men who are heading to the temple. In essence, two men who are going to church. And the first one is the Pharisee. Now before we beat up on the Pharisee, because the church has a long habit of beating up on the Pharisees, we, wa- we must remember that the Pharisee is a man who is tasked with knowing the law. He is a man who is tasked with knowing what God's expectation is. He is tasked with sharing what those expectations are. And from time to time, each of the Pharisees would be there in the synagogue, would unroll the scroll and read the law and then apply it to our lives. So in essence, the Pharisee is doing exactly what he should do. However, we must also notice the tone behind his prayer. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. I remember when I was in Hill City, relatively early on, I will just keep her nameless, but uh, one of my favorite places, one of my places, my, my own little personal sanctuary was heading on down to the motorcycle shop, Sick Vic's House of Horsepower is what it's called. His name is Sick Vic, use your imagination, you can figure out why. But he was one of those old-school, gray-bearded bikers, and the, the guys that came through there were just an interesting flock, to say the least, right? And on a regular basis, I would go down there, I would change tires and motorcycles, I would change the oil, and I would do that to keep my labor costs very, very low. And as long as I kept his fridge stocked with Budweiser, Budweiser heavy, as he called it, then my, then my labor costs were almost nil, right? But I remember on one particular afternoon, a lady in my congregation, she called me, she said, Pastor, I want you to know that every time I drive by the motorcycle shop and I see your Harley sitting outside, I want you to know that I say an extra prayer for you. I said, well, ma'am, what, what exactly does that prayer sound like? She said, well, I pray that you are evangelizing in the best of your abilities And I pray that you stand strong against the temptations that happen within that shop. And I said, what temptations do you surmise happen in this shop? And she said, well, I I imagine that there's crass language that you get to hear on a regular basis. And and I imagine there's probably some lewd jokes that are shared. And and I can only imagine the posters on the wall and and, and what images they bear. And And I started to smile on the other end of that phone, and I said, ma'am, well, I find it fascinating that you know which posters are on the wall. (laughs) And she said, well, pastor, this isn't about me. And I said, I don't think it is. But actually, I think it's very much about you. I found myself thinking, is she just like the Pharisee? Again, we don't beat up on the Pharisee. I would like to give her the benefit of the doubt that she certainly, with genuine intention, had the best, the best care in mind for her pastor. But what we also heard on that phone call is a relative line drawn in the sand. Amen? 
a line drawn in the sand that maybe, just maybe, that those of us do not, that are not in that shop, those of us that pray ever so eloquently as we drive by and see the pastor's Harley, that maybe, just maybe, we have it figured out. We're in the right heart, the right mind, right relationship with God. I found myself thinking that is an interesting person. And of course, I saw them in church on Sunday, and I said, hey, just so that you're aware, the poster did not burn holes in my retinas. And she smiled and she said, don't be a jerk, pastor. <laughs> but as the Pharisee stood there and as he finished his prayer, Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice that what Jesus says is that this man will be justified. It does not mean that he is better than the other man. It's not, it, Jesus is not saying he's better than the Pharisee or that he has it figured out better than the Pharisee. What he is saying is that this man is justified. Well, who is the one extolling justice? It is not the tax collector who has the perfect prayer. It is not the Pharisee who thinks that he is standing in the right, uh, right relationship with God. It is God alone who justifies. Amen? And God looks upon the penitent, humbled tax collector. And he sees him beating his chest. I imagine maybe tears in his eyes, a, a quivering lip, as he begs and pleads that maybe, just maybe, the Lord will grant him forgiveness. And the Lord smiles. And Jesus says, this man will go home today justified. But now we can get too far caught up in ourselves with that as well. Because it's not about your religious practices. It's not about when you're on some spiritual retreat and you come across one of those labyrinth maze-looking things on the carpet or in a garden and that you take, a, you take one step at a time in this labyrinth and you stop and you say the, all the right prayers and penitence. It's not that. It's not about whether or not you have a whole bookshelf at home full of self-help spirituality books. It's not those things either that bring you justification. I remember uh, another instance, I was uh, during my seminary years working as a chaplain at Avera Behavioral in Sioux Falls. I remember this woman, every single meal she would sit there and just tremble with her hands folded in prayer. And every single time she came into the group discussions, she was just sobbing in tears and literally almost beating herself up with a sense of guilt. And I remember one day, finally, I had the opportunity in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, I asked her, I said, what is it behind those tears? What is it behind those prayers? I've watched her hands wring themselves to the point where you're almost bloodied. And she says, Lord, or Pastor, I do not think I will ever make the cut. I said, what do you mean? Say more. She said, if only you knew my past, if only you knew my story, I don't think there is ever a thing I could say or do to earn God's grace or to receive his actual forgiveness. But I try, Pastor. I try. I remember the words of my mentor once saying to me in conversation of how we do pastoral care in these moments. I remember his words, and I asked them of her. I said, ma'am, are you a greater judge than God? 
For the first time ever, she smiled. She said, I never thought of it that way. I imagine in that moment she fully realized that she was, in fact, justified. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God wants the inside of our hearts and minds to match the outside. He doesn't want us to stand here thinking we have the perfect prayer or the perfect prayer life or the perfect relationship with God, but on the inside have those words, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray for that pastor at the shop every time I go by. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I'm not just like those people that never step foot in the church or, you know, it's like two weeks out from election season, amen? Oh my gosh, I'm glad that I don't vote for dot, 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 dot. Let's not slip there in that mindset, Amen. Oh my gosh, I'm glad that I'm not that denomination. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm glad that I don't go to that church. Oh my gosh, I'm glad that I don't participate in that activity or have that understanding of God. Let's not slip into that mindset. But let's also go home grateful that maybe, just maybe, we don't have to be the judges upon our own relationship with God because God is the judge, the just judge, and the only judge of our souls. We can't end with the parable. Unfortunately, I love it when our lectionary readings always end at the most inopportune time. If we were to go to the next few verses, it says this. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You know what I love about children? They just get it. Amen? They just get it. I wrote in bold letters in my, the margins of my Bible this week, I wrote, God always has mercy on the humble sinner. What I love about children is they just get it when they screw up, amen? And they come in, and when you realize, oh, Maddie or Ellie, I don't know if we got, I am sorry, Mommy. I am sorry, Daddy. And they may do it again, but on a good day, they may correct themselves, Amen? But regardless, they come and they naturally just realize when they make a mistake. And children also have no interest in coming to the church and standing off to the side saying, well, I'm glad I'm not like one of those people. I, the children do not stand out on the patio of the church thinking, by golly, if that person would just actually grace the presence of these doors once in a while... The children don't walk through the hallways at the school saying, oh my gosh, if only that person just believed the way I believe. No, the children practice mercy. The children practice compassion. And the, the children joyfully walk through the doors simply to sit there and receive God's grace. In this moment in the text, even the disciples mess it up, do they not? Amen? 
as the, these parents, these grandparents are bringing these children to Jesus, just maybe, just maybe he'll touch them, he'll bless them. The disciples, they do not have the patience. <coughs> Excuse me. The disciples themselves fall right into the trap of the Pharisees. They themselves, they don't even realize that they themselves are drawing the line in the sand. Be gone, go away, the Lord does not have time for you at this time. He's got bigger miracles to prove. Just be gone, give him his space. And Jesus silences them and says, let them come to me. Let the children be my presence, because with the faith of a child, only with the faith of a child, can we enter into the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God wants the inside to match the outside. He wants us to come into the space. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our apologies. But what he really wants is to give us his mercy. So we come. We say, Lord, have mercy. Say it with me. We say, Lord, have mercy. And he gives us mercy. And we leave our sins at the altar. We leave them at the table. We leave them in this space. And we walk out those doors knowing that when we go home, we are justified, we are okay, we are well. And we live in response to that like the children of God who receive the kingdom. Thanks be to God.